Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the Improv Chronicle Podcast. I'm Lloydie. It's Tuesday, 9th February, 2021. The words improv and comedy are so regularly used together, but comedy doesn't have to be the goal of our art form. When I was contacted by a listener who wanted to talk about dramatic improv a few weeks back, I was keen to talk. Dramatic improv gets so little attention compared to its comedic sibling, and I wondered why that is, and also whether it's even possible to delineate easily between what a dramatic improv show and a comedic improv show actually is. This led me to a number of really interesting conversations. And we'll start off with the man who suggested this episode. Hello, I'm Chris Locke. I'm a programmer by day, improviser by night, and do podcasting. You see, improv, I think, is so often associated with comedy. What do you think is the delineation between comedic improv and dramatic improv? I mean, it, it's so much, I think it's a lot easier for people to go down that comedy route because if you're trying for drama, it's it's really like you're putting more than yourself on stage. You're putting your dramatic self, which could mean that you, as a improviser, open yourself up to um, incoming harm, potentially, if that makes sense. So you, you think you you need to be more vulnerable in order to, to do it? Yeah, like you really make yourself vulnerable being that sort of dramatic because you have to dig into those feelings as a character, which might, you know, dig up feelings of your own self. I suppose, can we define dramatic scene? Because it's more than just the absence of comedy, isn't it? Mm. It's sort of, you leave extra space normally in dramatic scenes from what I've done people get scared about that space they fear that silence and just to kind of let people dig about in their feelings a little bit 18 months ago when international travel was actually a thing i was in sarasota in florida and one person i met there was part of a dramatic improv group that performed regularly at florida studio theater my name is kathleen rinaldi everybody calls me kathy i'm based in sarasota florida and i am part of a trio called Impromptu that does dramatic improv, basically unscripted plays. We focus on 
uh, improv set during the 40s and 50s. So we do Tennessee Williams-inspired plays, and we do passion noir, which is like film noir, but from the criminal's perspective. Kathy, improv is usually associated with comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is different um, about dramatic improv, apart from the fact that I presume there are fewer laughs? There are fewer laughs that are forced. And by that, I mean that in dramatic improv, your humor is organic. So you're not making up. You're not looking for jokes. You're not following the funny. You are discovering humor in the middle of a normal scene. So uh, I be- I'm going to back up a bit and tell you that that is exactly why our group chose dramatic improv because we had been going through the Florida studio theater, which under Will Loera. So, you know, genuflect in his presence. Um, mm. The school is phenomenal. Will is phenomenal. And we, we went through the entire uh, full course and we were all doing well, but we were, we weren't feeling really pleased with what we were learning because none of us really liked being intentionally funny. And so we had gone to the Sarasota Festival and we saw a group from LA in pro theater and they had done a, um, did they do a Tennessee? Yes, they did a Tennessee Williams. And we looked at each other at the exact same time and said that, that's what we want to do. It was just this momentous head blowing moment. And then we hired a coach from there and we started working with them and discovered that, that, that not following the funny was really the kind of improv that, that we just adored and, and we, find, we find it easier. One name that came up again and again when I was talking to people about dramatic improv was the person who runs a theatre and a festival dedicated to the art form. My name is Tony Releg. I am the artistic director and head instructor uh, and founder of Theatre Momentum here in Chicago, Illinois. And I am also the uh, the uh, uh, what's the title for this? <laughs> I don't know what my title is. I'm the 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 head of the Dramatic Improv Festival uh, in Chicago. Uh, I've been doing improv uh, for 29 years now. My goodness, and I have run uh, Theater Momentum since its founding back in 2007. So you run a Dramatic Improv Festival, and you are. I think the only theatre in Chicago that is dedicated purely to dramatic improv. Um, how would you delineate dramatic improv from the improv that most of us know? Uh, well, let's see. Most improv that most people are familiar with is comedic improv. Uh, when you say improv, that is the first thing that comes to mind, at least here in Chicago. Um, and what we do at Theatre Momentum is uh, it's really meant more to mimic a traditional scripted play. It's more it's meant to mimic that experience for an audience member. Uh, in fact, for a while we we didn't take any suggestions whatsoever. We kind of kept in the mindset of uh, TJ and Dave. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, their their whole thing of trust us. This is all made up, and we we basically presume that if the audience is enjoying themselves. They don't care as much about whether or not their suggestion gets used in an interesting way. I mean, most of the time, a layperson audience completely forgets the suggestion 
halfway through the, the show anyway. So we're more focused on creating, you know, a, a deep, complex human stories um, where people are vulnerable to one another, and it feels as though you're just coming to a scripted play, and then and afterwards you're surprised that it was all made up. A couple of years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe, I remember going to a show with one of my improv duo partners. We were there to watch another duo who specifically do dramatic improv. And their show had a really strong emotional impact on both of us. So my next call was to one half of that duo. Well, my stage name is Rachel E. Thorne um, because one day I'm going to be as famous as Richard E. Grant. That's not why. But that's not why. Um, but it, that my stage name is Rachel Uthorn. Um I am one half of Sex, Lies and Improvisation and one third of Mates, the improvised 90s sitcom. And I also write sketches for audio. And I've also been writing and attempting to tour my solo show, Loveful. Dramatic improv. Um, I was just thinking, what kind of space within the improv world do you think it currently takes up? Um, in my experience, quite a small space um, because you have to specify dramatic improv in a way you don't. The assumption, if you say the word improv, is comedic to the point that actually at one of the fringe festivals we did with Between Us, um, we discovered we, we had a slightly weird setup in that we were going once a week for four weeks. And it was only on the fourth week when we were chatting to the box office staff that it turned out they'd been pitching to audience members our show as comedy and we said but look at the poster look how miserable our faces are what about me and Alex Keane looking at each other intensely made you think this was a comedy and they were like but it's improv (laughs) (laughs) that's that is peculiar isn't it why um why do you think people have the comedic association with improv um I think it's probably because improv is so funny like it's just such a wonderfully natural way of entertaining yourself and other people and it's so naturally funny. So even in very dark, bleak, dramatic shows, there's usually some humour somewhere. But I think that's the modern way with with art generally, isn't it? Like there's not that much that you watch with that hasn't got any humour in it at all nowadays. With humour being a thing that can happen. What other emotions and reactions can we expect? Here's Chris again. Maybe if people see it, they will be both shocked and moved by it. And I think that would be a wonderful thing for an audience member. If I come out of a play, um, I went to see Monster Calls, the play about the cancer. And that I was crying in the theatre. And I was just like, this is beautiful. And if improv can make me do that, I'm just like, that's really going to, I don't know, that's really going to change everything that I know about improv, I think. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, I've been speaking to people who regularly perform dramatic improv and they t- talk about the reactions they get. And obviously the reaction is different to that that you would get from a comedic improv show. Mm. Um, how do you think... Um, how do you think the reactions differ yourself from comedic and dramatic? Hmm. Listen for the gasp of air, the sharp, like, like that intake. Um, if you hear that as a on stage, if you're listening very carefully, you'll kind of feel that tension grow within the audience. So 
for me, that's kind of, you've just got to pay a bit more attention to that audience and play with that space a little bit more, I think. So if you're willing to play with that space, what can you expect from your audience? Here's Rachel. Well, if anybody's thinking of doing a spot of the old dramatic improv, I wish someone had said this to me three or four years ago, is that audiences will get so into the storyline that they have very extreme reactions. And I think that is definitely because it's improvised and because they're going on this journey in a way that you don't when something is scripted. Um, we've, <laughs> we've made quite a lot of people in the audience cry. Um, a good friend was doing tech for us in one show and they came out and they were a bit kind of upset with us because we'd dealt with themes that were happening in that person's relationship and they'd ex they knew that we weren't doing it personally but they experienced it very personally and those personal reactions from the audience is something Kathy really appreciates oh i love the emotional reactions my goal as a performer, and this might be different for Teresa. Teresa likes laughs, um, but my goal, and I and and Joe may tell you something a little different, but not too different, is that I like that moment of complete silence when you can hear a pin drop because they don't want to miss a word. That's when I think, okay, we have them. They might not know or, or have known what to expect but they are so caught up in this story that they don't want to move. That's my favorite. The other one is when we can make them laugh and cry. And I've had a person, Joe and I had to do a duo once. We actually have a duo now. I have another duo with Joe called Unconsciously Coupled. Um, <laughs> because it's a spin on that Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. thing. Yeah. And it just, it was so precious. <laughs> and so I said to him, <laughs> Let's do unconsciously coupled because when you've been married for a long time, you are unconsciously coupled. You just, you know, it, things just, you just do. And uh, we were doing a show by ourselves at, um, and it was a sweet, sweet story, but it got a little sad near the end. And I looked to the, to my side, to the side because the stage at Florida studio is very close to the audience. And there was a woman sobbing i mean just sobbing <laughs> and i thought i came out of myself for a minute because i thought oh and then i went right back into it but i thought well can i ask for anything else you know that either sobbing or silence is wonderful so i don't think we look for laughs we enjoy them and we welcome them but for us it's it's the reaction of the audience going <gasps> or uh, or you go girl or something that makes them caught up in it we did a show in uh florida in just north of orlando and there was a group of people on one side and they got so caught up in it it was sort of a woman suffrage kind of show and they were that's what they were doing you go girl like they like yeah. they were sitting in their living room which we didn't get that often but um that kind of thing just inspires me and us and makes us want to do it over and over again in all the conversations i had People talked about the gasps, and Tony mentioned those several times as part of the wide range of emotions audiences experience. Well, during the shows, it's it's kind of all over the place. Um, 
I told you a little bit about the the gasps, like when an audience recognizes something is a, a really amazing moment. Um, you know, when they when they realize that these two characters are the same person at different points in time and things like that. Uh, those are oh, those are just my favorite. I love those moments um, because laughter is something that is it's contagious. It's spontaneous. It's the sound of expectations being broken. It's something that you you can't help, you know. And, and I think a gasp is something that we hide. We 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 cover that up. We, you know, when people gasp, one of the first things that they do is they cover their mouth because they yeah. they feel ashamed at having such a an emotional outburst. But if they laugh, people laugh raucously and their mouths are wide open. And what I find awesome, uh, if if a bit manipulative, <laughs> is when audiences laugh during a dramatic improv show, uh, because when they laugh during a, a, one of these kind of shows, it's because they've been paying rapt attention to what's going on for. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, they're getting to know the characters. They're getting to understand the full story of everybody. And they, you know, they know that, oh, this character has a crush on this character over here and hasn't said it and has talked around it. But, oh, look how awkward he is right now. And look at her ignoring him. And, oh, that's hilarious. Not because it's a setup punchline thing, but we can recognize ourselves in that. And there's something in that which I think we can use in almost all improv, the recognising of something in ourselves. After all, so much of performance is about creating those moments. As improv continues to become better known, it seems to me that dramatic improv has the capacity to add so much choice to anyone who's an improv-curious audience member. As theatre goers, yeah, sure, sometimes we do just want to see something really silly and frivolous, and I love that in improv for sure um but sometimes as theater goers we want to be engaged you want to be challenged you want to be emotionally affected and i think dramatic improv is a such a good tool for doing that it just comes with this um with this dangerous element in our experience rachel talks about the danger but if someone wants to try this art form can that danger be intimidating here's chris it's it's a very scary thing to do uh and that's open your heart to that sort of dramatic side of things. But actually, it's it's like one of those things you just have to try once or twice, and then you might actually really begin to really enjoy it because you find there's so much more depth to your character rather than being whoever your character is. So try not to be scared. Embrace it like a warm hug. And Tony thinks there's a special sort of courage you need in dramatic improv. With dramatic improv, we are we're brave in a different way um it's it's not bravery that we're going out and doing something crazy and wild it's your your audience wants you to say the thing that they would never have the guts to say in real life you know if you tell your father that you wish he would actually say that he loves you out loud you know tell your best friend that you've had a crush on her for years you know things like that and i i feel like with dramatic improv, we have that opportunity to really, really go deep, um, and and that is just that's rich, that's meaty, that is worthwhile to me. I just I love it, and those are moments that I 
I, I chase after. I'm not chasing after the, the laughter or the, the sobbing or whatever. I'm just chasing after those deep moments, really. And if you're going to chase those deep moments, as with anything in improv, the more you practice, the better you get, as Kathy knows. Once we're, we start rolling, we're, we're not stuck for words. We, there's some, some people say, how can you do that? Because you've got to keep the story going and you've got to think about where you're walking and you have to, have to um, create environment and all those sorts of things all at the same time. But for us, it's easy. Joe is a professional actor. I'm a playwright. Teresa is a professional storyteller in, in amongst all our other, other jobs that used to pay money. And so for us, this is what comes easily. And so it's, it, it doesn't feel like work, but we know that we've put hours into learning how to do it properly. And that's uh, maybe that's why it's easy. You can't learn anything without putting the time into it so it looks easy. Next time on the Improv Chronicle podcast. Go to a lot of improv theatre websites and, alongside the classes in improv, you'll often see classes in sketch comedy as well. Why are improv and sketch such regular bedfellows? And what can we take from improvised comedy and use in sketch comedy? The Improv Chronicle podcast is produced and hosted by me, Lloydie James Lloyd. Help the podcast by subscribing and rating us right now on your favourite podcast app and help those who have taken part this episode by checking out their details in the show notes. And find out more about previous episodes, including transcripts, on the website, improvchronicle.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.